We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And now... The third guy was Brian Barrett. He was good. Streaming everywhere on the Odyssey app. Other sports shows can't compare it. And that's this is the Brian Barrett Show. How about this juicy nugget? I think music is obnoxious. It's too loud. On Boston Sports Original. The way this works is you say something, I say something, you say something. That's how it works. You can't just keep talking. W-E-E-I. I'm feeling frisky now. I'm feeling very excited. All right, welcome in. We're taking you all the way up until the first pitch of the Red Sox game today. As we get ready for, hopefully... Another debacle at Fenway Park this afternoon because that's all we've been getting. Just piss-poor performances by your team. Quite frankly, last night, just unacceptable from a lot of guys on this team. And you look at the lineup today, it is laughable. And I get it, they have a lot of injuries and all that, but Jalen Davis is leading off this game. He actually looked okay at the plate yesterday. He's actually hit ever since he's come up for this team. Sanchez is in the lineup. I mean, like, this is an absolute... And I get a lot of it has to do with injuries right now, but... The Red Sox, apparently, allegedly, the chief baseball officer, whatever Heim Bloom's title is, okay, whatever his title is, the team that he's put together <laughs> is leading off Jalen Davis today as he told us they're going for it with this team. They want to win with this core. They're going to give it another shot. You got Jalen Davis and Sanchez out there. And I get it. There's injuries and all that. But it's a bigger, broader point with this team. And you just look at the crap that's happening right now. It is an absolute joke. Somebody needs to tell me this. What is Jaron Duran good at? What is he good at? I know he's fast, but tell me what he's good at. He can't hit. He's hitting 237 at the big league level. He strikes out left and right. He had the good stretch when he first came up, and he hasn't hit for about a month. Okay, ever since he didn't go to Toronto, and then he made this announcement like it was this unbelievable achievement that he was going to get vaccinated and he's going to play next time they go to Toronto. Well, the Red Sox may be out of it at that particular point in time anyway. But nonetheless, you get my overwhelming point as it pertains to this guy. You tell me what he's good at. He had a good stretch when he came up. He is legitimately the worst center fielder in the sport. He is atrocious. He's he cannot read he's a basket. <laughs> He cannot read anything off the bat. He has no idea where the ball is going. Okay? No idea. He didn't run after a ball last week. And then his excuse after the game was egregious. Well, hey, I didn't want to run into Doogie. Uh, dude, this was after the ball landed. How would you run into him? You would have to purposely run into him. It's not like the ball's in the air and you're colliding with another player. And then, okay, this dude Lauer was laboring early. He had no stuff early in the game. He had no command early in the game. And what happens with Duran? Okay, great. You got to walk. Congratulations. You reached base. He gets picked off. How do you get picked off to start the game? I mean, come on. You finally feel like, all right, the Red Sox are going to come right back in this game, and we'll get to Pavetta in a second because now that guy sucks. But anyway, my point with Duran is how does that crap continue to happen to this team? They are bad on the bases right now. It's egregious. You look at Alex Verdugo a couple of weeks ago getting picked off at third base. I mean, this stuff continues to happen to this Red Sox team. They 
continue to make mistake after mistake after mistake. It is just a difficult watch right now. And you just feel like when you tune into a game or when you're at the game, you just feel like they're going to lose. They are now 8-21 and 21 since they went to Toronto. They have been one of, if not the worst teams in all of Major League Baseball. I gave you the numbers statistically as it pertains to that. But now you feel like they're in an even worse spot. And I get it. Story, we don't know what the hell is going to happen with him. He's dealing like a, with a hairline fracture in his hand. And look, Alex Cora said that essentially it doesn't affect the timeline whatsoever. I just, I don't understand what's happening with this organization. How did they not find the hairline fracture previously? Now, it's in a different area, but how did they not know? Guy has to see a second hand specialist to find out he's got a hairline fracture. I don't know what's going on with the team in any way, shape, or form. Any part of the organization right now, I have no idea what's going on. No idea what's going on with this team. Okay, and then you look at a guy like Nick Pavetta, and you felt like the dude was so bad in April, one of the worst pitchers in the entire sport, and then he started shoving for about a two-month period, and now he's completely fallen off a cliff. May and June, this dude was outstanding. April, we all know he was absolutely atrocious, and now he's being back to being the guy that absolutely sucks again. You look at Nick Pavetta, and he has completely fallen off. Completely fallen off. Yesterday, he gave up nine hits. Four earned runs. Gave up. This starts the uh, great Hein Bloom week, by the way, again. I don't gonna... know what's going on here. <laughs> Good pull, Nick LePan, who's producing. Have you seen the numbers on Nick Pavetta lately, his last five starts? I tweeted it out today. Added it's Brian Barrett on Twitter. Last five starts, 24 innings. 938 ERA. Is that good? A 938 ERA. 213 whip. 368 opponents batting average. 10.1% walk rate and a 48.2% hard hit rate. That means nearly one out of every two balls that are hit off of Nick Pavetta are over 95 miles an hour. This guy is allergic to soft contact. Now, in the first inning, he gave up two hard hit balls and then he sort of settled down. But then, you know, he gives up the home run. He's just, right now, this guy ain't right. And whether it's fatigue, whatever, he got the extra break after the All-Star situation. But now, with all these issues that you had with this team, the one thing we were not worried about at the end of June was Nick Pavetta. And now Nick Pavetta is a non-entity. Does anybody feel confident when this guy's going to the mound? I feel confident about one thing when Pavetta's on the mound right now. He's going to give up rockets. I know that. For a fact, I know that Nick Pavetta will give up loud contact. That's what he does. That's his MO right now. All he does is give up loud contact. And you look at Pavetta now on the season, based on the bad April, the good May, the good June, and now he has completely, to use the Max Kellerman term, fallen off a cliff in the month of August. Here are the numbers on Nick Pavetta on the season. 440 ERA. That's 55th out of 61 qualified starters. 132 whip, 50th. 248 opponents batting average, 42nd. 8.7% walk rate, 55th of 61. 46.2% hard hit rate, 59th. That is out of 61 qualifiers. He was actually in the lead about three days ago. So congratulations to Nick. He got back under the lead for the most for the highest hard hit rate in Major League Baseball. Congratulations, Tim and his family. Didn't give up as much loud contact last night. But the problem now is, Evaldi's velocity is down. Who the hell knows what's happened with Evaldi long term? Like, if I'm one of these teams that's considering trading for Nathan Evaldi, how can you right now? Velocity is down two miles per hour on the fastball since that angel start where he went on the IL. Since that point, the velocity is down two miles per hour. How do you trade for a guy? Trade him. 
<laughs> Thanks, Glenn. When that's an issue. You don't know if he's going to have his fastball. What do we just got to predict? It's going to come back. You thought maybe if he had a situation here where he had some time off, he would recover. He'd be good to go. No, he's not. He's not good to go. So Pavetta's bad. Evaldi's bad right now until we actually see him perform at a high level. Chris Sale has a mangled finger, so that dude's unavailable right now. Shocker. And look, this is a freak injury with Sale. It's unfortunate for Sale, but the reality is Chris Sale's always injured. He's always hurt. Ever since he signed the contract extension, the guy's always hurt. And look, and a lot of them are out of his control. You can't predict the guy's going to have Tommy John. You can't predict the guy is going to end up fracturing a rib or whatever the hell that was when he's getting ready for the season. You can't factor all that stuff in, right? So, but the problem is he's always hurt. I mean, this is, there's a situation where a guy gets freak injuries or a guy's injury prone. Chris Sale's injury prone. There's no way around it. So Sale's a non-entity. You're still waiting on Michael Waka who's been dealing with a dead arm. He threw a simulated game yesterday to Raphael Devers, or Raphael Devers took at-bats in that simulated game. So Michael Walker at some point is going to be back. Rich Hill's been dealing with this MCL injury. He's probably going to start a game in Houston here. He's coming back, but he's missed an extended period of time. So we'll see what he is. I, I can't believe that I'm saying this. I cannot wait for Rich Hill to be back on this team. And I, nothing against Rich Hill, but that's where we're at. I, like, I cannot wait for him to be back on this team because you'll have somebody out there that can be a major league pitcher because the Red Sox have not had that lately based on what Pavetta's shown us, based on what Evaldi's shown us. And by the way, the guy pitching today, Josh Winkowski on the mound today. I mean, buckle up for this one. I'll tell you this with Josh Winkowski on the mound. You know what? You don't have to get ready for strikeouts. He will not miss a bat. He refuses to miss a bat. He will not do it. Josh Winkowski will not strike somebody out. He will not miss bats. He is allergic to missing bats. He is against it. It's in his ethos. He will not do it. Last three outings, 3% swinging strike rate. 3%. Think about that. 3% of his pitches are swinging strikes. Adam Wainwright is last in Major League Baseball on the season among qualified starters at 6.5%. This dude's at 3%. He ain't missing bats. 25 hard hit balls in his last 50 batted balls. That's 50%. All he gives up are rockets right now and he refuses to miss a bat. So that guy's pitching today. you, you got to feel confident about the Red Sox with this guy on the mound. And then you start to think about it going forward as well. Now, Bayo, I like what we saw yesterday. Crawford's good, and that's your best starter right now, without question. Cutter Crawford has separated himself from the rest of these guys. But how can you have any confidence in this team whatsoever based on what's going on with Pavetta, what's going on with Evaldi? Like, my whole thing was, okay, once you get these guys back, and once you get these guys healthy, all right, let's see if this Red Sox team can make a run at it. But now they're back, and Rich Hill's going to be back. We'll see what, what the hell's happening with Michael Waka. But Avaldi's back. The All-Star break is over. Nick Pavetta still isn't good right now. So the whole idea of waiting and getting these guys back, and then you can make a run, I just don't believe that anymore based on what we've seen from these guys. Avaldi's not good right now. Nick Pavetta's not good right now. Jaron Duran is getting picked off the bases. And we'll get into the bullpen in just a second here because the bullpen has been a disaster. And now I'm really starting to think about it from this perspective. Is Heim Bloom just not good at building a bullpen? Because you looked at his time in Tampa, right? You look at his time in Tampa and that was their thing. They built up bullpens. They had a million arms and they would recycle guys. They'd go back to AAA. They'd come up and that was their thing. They won. They started the bullpen game there. The opener, whatever you call it, in Tampa Bay. Ever since he came to the Red Sox, this guy has been absolutely atrocious at building bullpens. There is no way you can argue to the contrary. Heimblum has been bad 
you, finding a way to have a serviceable first baseman, and Hein Bloom has been absolutely horrible at building a bullpen. And we have evidence that he cannot build a bullpen. We'll get to it next here on EEI. Brian Barrett with you up until first pitch of the Red Sox game. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Brian Barrett Show on WEEI. They were missing Judge tonight, and I think uh, Rizzo, I think those two guys lengthened that lineup a, a huge amount. not going to say the guys they had in there today are bad at it by any means, um, but felt like another big league lineup, to be honest. Um, you know, they just had a lot of good a lot of good takes on sliders and cutters, and then um, when I was missing up, they were taking it, so props to them. There he is. Josh Winkowski is on the mound today. That's what he said after he got beat up by the Yankees. This guy has the audacity to make a comment like that after. <laughs> he walked five guys. <laughs> and he got three swing and misses. And he said, yeah, they're just another major league lineup. Uh, just another major league lineup where you can't get more swings and misses than batters you walk. Flat out embarrassing. I still cannot believe he made that comment. He's on the mound today. Felt like another big league lineup, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, okay, okay, let's see what Josh has today. And, you know, part of the thing with Josh, and if you want to weigh in on this team, you certainly can at 617-779-7937. If you want to weigh in on the Sox, the status right now, and what exactly Bloom's doing with this organization, that's all on the table at 617-779-7937. But just, the Winkowski thing to me, and I'll, I'll say this from a selfish perspective. I was in on the guy because he got a ton of ground balls at the minor league level. And we all saw when he first came up, he got a ton of ground balls. So I was really committed to Winkowski being good. And the guy's completely burned me. And he's had a couple of comments here that I just do not care for whatsoever. I don't care about the Wrigley thing. I thought that was funny. But the comment that he made about the Yankees lineup is an absolute joke. And he continues to pitch poorly. Think about this. Josh Winkowski on the season has a 15.6% whiff rate. That means how often when a guy is swinging does he actually whiff? It's 15.6%, okay? The last guy in Major League Baseball among qualified starters is Marco Gonzalez at 17.7%. Josh Winkowski on the season, (laughs) 15.6%. The last guy's at 17.7%. He will not miss a bat. He refuses to do it. And it brings me back to sort of this whole thing with this team right now with this core group. 
And one of the things that really aggravates me about what Heim Bloom has done here, and look, I'm not telling you that he hasn't done a good job getting some guys into the farm system, the Nick Yorks of the world, the Marcelo Mayers of the world. I'm not disputing that whatsoever. But my point about Heim Bloom is just what has he really done for the big league club? What are the moves that he's made that's really improved this roster? Because maybe I looked at this situation totally different than Heim Bloom did and totally different than maybe some of you did. But I looked at the 2019 Red Sox, and I didn't think at that particular point in time, oh, this team is going to suck in the foreseeable future. They really need to rebuild everything with the organization. I never felt that way. I always felt that what happened in 2019 and the way that everybody reacted to it was a complete overreaction. They had a bad season. They had the issue with Mookie Betts and Andrew Benintendi when they essentially flipped the batters in terms of who hit first and who hit second. They had a bad year. They had a bunch of injuries as it pertained to the pitching staff. The pitchers were not ready to go at the beginning of the season. Remember that whole idea where they wanted to ease them into the season? Because remember, those guys had pitched so often in the postseason. They were bringing guys out of the bullpen, the Porcellos of the world, etc. And I felt like, quite frankly, they gave up on Porcello too early. I think Major League Baseball did because... They tell him, don't throw your sinker anymore. Don't throw your two-seamer. Now we're seeing that sinkers are back. Now we'll see if Winkowski can actually have an effective sinker going forward. But anyway, my whole point with that is I felt like what happened in 19, everything was an overreaction. I, quite frankly, look at the Dave Dombrowski era, and I miss it. I miss what Dombrowski did for this organization because he was dialed into winning now. Everything that Bloom does, it feels like he is so concerned about how this affects the future. And I can understand that because that's his ethos. He came from Tampa Bay. And that's how he wants to build. He wants long-term sustainability. I understand all that. But in 19, when he came here after the 19 season, this team had a lot of good players. They had won the World Series in 2018. And I just feel like his tenure here, he hasn't done enough to give this core group of players an opportunity to make another run. And last year, yeah, they did it. But was it really because of what Bloom did? No, it's because Alex Cora is bringing guys out of the bullpen that were starters at the end of the season. We're not talking about in the postseason. Cora does that all the time in the postseason. We're talking about at the end of the regular season, you're bringing guys out of the damn rotation into the bullpen because you don't have enough good bullpen arms. They still didn't have enough good bullpen arms. They were one of the best teams in Major League Baseball at the trading deadline. You go out, you get the big fudge and the Robleses of the world. Now, Robles worked out, and big fudge was fine, although he was left off one of the playoff rosters. But you get the point, is they have these issues every single year under the Bloom regime, and they don't do enough for the big league team. It just doesn't feel like winning at the Major League level is a big priority right now for the organization. And I reject that as a premise. I hate that. You can do both things. You can build up your farm system. We're not asking you to trade Nick York. We're not asking you to trade Marcelo Mayer or Brian Bale. We're not asking you to do that. We're just asking you to put together a complete or as complete as possibly can be major league roster. You don't have to gut the farm system. Dave Dombrowski proved that. You do not have to gut the farm system to win. You can do both things. And it just feels like there has been not enough attention on the major league team. And because, I don't know if it's one of these situations where they got high on their supply after what transpired last year. You made that incredible run, and they were puffing their chests out because of the Schwarber move and all that. And Schwarber is great for this team. I'm not disputing that. But it almost felt like because of that, there was like this reassurance that we can do it this way. This is the way to build the team. 
And we all sat here. I shouldn't speak for everybody, but I sat here in the offseason, and I told you they need bullpen arms, they need another starter, and they need, if they're going to get rid of Renfro, which I was fine with that in a vacuum, I'll get into that in greater detail, and if they're going to get rid of Schwarber, they need to get an outfielder. They didn't do any of that. They didn't fix the first base situation, and I just feel like that is unbecoming of the Boston Red Sox that we continue to watch this product, and we can look at all the holes, and some of it is just inexcusable. I mean, Duran's out there getting picked off first base. Come on. And stop taking a victory lap, okay? Because you're getting vaccinated, so then you can play next time in Toronto. Well, you couldn't play last time. And this isn't a vaccine thing. This is just the fact that Duran is a guy that, okay, great, you can play next time. The team may be out of it, okay? Congratulations. It's unbelievable to me that this guy, ever since that happened, he's not hitting. And I'm not connecting the two. I'm just saying, since June 27, dude ain't hitting, okay? And then when he gets on base, like he did last night, he gets picked off. I, I know, and he's out of the lineup today. I just thought, and he got a hit yesterday. Congratulations. But I just look at it from this perspective. How do you justify at this point playing this guy? Like, I don't know what his future is. He can't play the outfield. I mean, we have seen that. It's not like he hits for a significant amount of power or hits for average. So, and he strikes out all the time. So when you look at it at that perspective, like what's his role long-term with the Red Sox organization? You got a guy that doesn't hit for power, that strikes out, that doesn't have a position defensively. I just don't see how this guy is any sort of prospect. And if I were the Red Sox, if I can get anything for this guy, I would think about moving him. He's not going to be a long-term good player in Major League Baseball. I can't see that happening. Can you? I mean, look at the guy. So then you look at the fact that this whole idea of Heimblum. All right, so they built up bullpens in Tampa. That was their thing. They loved building up bullpens. And great, it worked out for Tampa and all that, although some of that crap I don't like. I mean, they burnt guys out or they just make them throw sliders all the time and all these guys are getting injured. There was a big piece about it last year. How about this? Dave Dombrowski versus Heimblum. Let's look at the bullpens, okay? Because remember, the bullpen was a big issue. People wanted more at the deadline in 18. And he went out and got Evaldi. And obviously, part of the calculus was they knew when they were going to get into the postseason that they had a plan. They were going to do something with Nathan Evaldi, whether it be coming out of the bullpen, as obviously was going to come here and start. But Nathan Evaldi comes here. They trade away Jalen Beeks. And obviously, Evaldi was great for this team. But I just look at 16 through 19, and you compare it to 20 to 22. Okay, so the Dave Dombrowski era versus the Bloom era as it pertains to bullpens. Remember, Bloom comes from Tampa. This is supposed to be one of his strengths. He's supposed to be able to build bullpens. We know this about Bloom. He loves sliders. He goes out there. If you've got a slider, come on down. Hey, Jake Diekman, we don't care. You know the white thing? You're supposed to throw it over there? We don't care. We don't give a rat's ass that you don't throw it over that thing because the horizontal break on your slider is phenomenal. So come on over. We don't care if you walk the ballpark. Get on in here, okay? Come on, let's go. We need you. You got a slider, let's go. So 16 through 19. Red Sox bullpen, 375 ERA. That's six in baseball. Sixth in baseball. Despite the fact that we had issues at the bullpen at times. They were six in ERA into the, under the Dave Dombrowski era. You know why? You know what Dave Dombrowski did? It's this crazy concept. He traded for a star. He said, I need a closer. Craig Kimbrell, let's go. Manuel Margot, you're heading to San Diego. Get out of here. You're going to San Diego. I'm bringing in a closer. And look, I get it. 18 postseason, Kimbrell wasn't great. But you know what Kimbrell was in his Red Sox era, if you will? One of the best relief pitchers in the game. You cannot argue to the contrary. Look at the numbers. The guy was phenomenal. That was the calculus. I'm going to get a guy that I know back into the bullpen. Night's over. You're going home. Well, um, you know, I don't really like that concept. Let's go with a committee here. One day you can close. One day you can close. One day you can close. Okay, fine. I mean, come on. 
20 to 2022. Time Bloom era, 448 ERA. Up until last night. These numbers are calculated from last night. They have a 448 ERA in the Heinblum era in the bullpen. That is 23rd. Dave Dombrowski era, 375 ERA. That is 6th. Can't argue with the numbers here. Heinblum's supposed to be a guy that can build up a bullpen. How's it looking right now? You tell me. How's his bullpen look? Opponent's batting average in the Dave Dombrowski era, 230, 5th in baseball during that stretch. Heinblum era, 248, 27th. Whip, 129 in the Dombrowski era, 10th. 142 in the Bloom era, 27th. <laughs> I mean, Dave Dombrowski, I don't know why everybody criticizes this guy all the time. I would kill to have this guy back here right now. He knows how to build a major league team. How about win probability added? The Red Sox were first in win probability added from the bullpen during the Dombrowski era. They're 19th in the Bloom era. The Red Sox bullpen in the Dombrowski era, 21.2 wins above replacement, third. Bloom era, 5.7, 19th, unbelievable. Dombrowski era, seventh fewest meltdowns. Bloom era, tied for the most meltdowns in all of Major League Baseball since he took over the bullpen. You tell me, can this guy build a bullpen? I don't see it. This whole idea of the Tampa model, how can you look at this thing and say, hey, we're looking at the matchups today. How can Alex Cora look at the pockets right now? He doesn't have guys that can pitch in those pockets. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. Now, Brazier's completely fallen off a cliff. Salamora is absolutely atrocious. I mean, you look at Salamora right now. This has been an absolute nightmare. This guy has been absolutely atrocious. It's tough to watch right now. First of all, the guy takes three hours between pitches, okay? If you're going to be that bad, at least do it quickly. I mean, come on. For the sake of everybody there, I think part of it is he's, he, he knows he can't get anybody out now. Because I would argue he's slower than he was last year. He is. I mean, I, I don't know if I didn't think that was possible. He's slower than he was last year. You look at Salamore, his last four games, four and two thirds. <laughs> He's given up eight hits. That's a 364 opponent's batting average. He has a 257 whip. How about this? Two strikeouts, 7.7% strikeout rate, four walks, 15.4% walk rate. Throws that four seamer last night, 93 miles an hour, middle, middle to Taylor home run. Unbelievable. Nine hitter. I mean, the Red Sox hate getting nine hitters out. That's a whole different conversation. Salamora, that's one of the guys that Bloom identified. Uh, how's he doing? Guy absolutely stinks. Then you look at a guy like Jake Diekman. And you know what? This is another one. I should have never done this. I looked at the four outings post-All-Star break, and it felt like they found something with Diekman mechanically. And I gave you the numbers the other day on the pregame show where he had been phenomenal in his last four outings. I mean, I'm not. He had. He was throwing first pitch strikes nearly 79% of the time. He had just one walk in his last four and a third. He had five strikeouts. He had given up one hit. The velocity on his fastball was up and all that. Last night, he comes in, unprofessional outing. No way around it. You cannot argue to the contrary. And you look at what he did in the dugout. He knew it was unprofessional. Guys out there throwing around Gatorade bottles after, or I should say Gatorade buckets, if you will, whatever, coolers, whatever the hell that thing's called, after he comes out of the game. Because he knows it's not good enough. You're in the game at that particular point in time when Diekman comes in. And I stopped calling him Diekman for a couple of days. He's back to being Jake Walkman. That's what he does. He does not want to throw the ball over the plate. He refuses to do so. We saw it in the top of the eighth inning. This is a 5-4 game. The Red Sox are in this game. They got themselves back in the game, and Diekman comes out there. And you're thinking, okay, can we get the Diekman that we've seen post-All-Star break? No, he doesn't want, to, doesn't want to do that. I shouldn't say he doesn't want to do it. He's incapable of doing it because we saw how mad he was. He wants to 
help this team. He just can't throw strikes consistently. You felt good about it after the All-Star break, but he can't do it. Pre-All-Star break, he had an 18.2% walk rate. That was the worst of any reliever in Major League Baseball. And you look at Diekman, what does he do when he comes into the game last night? He hits the eight-hitter. I mean, come on. You cannot, and I get he's a pinch hitter and all that, but you cannot do that. The first batter he faces, he hits. Then he walks the nine-hitter. <laughs> I mean, this guy, you're pitching to the bottom of the order. Throw strikes. He cannot do it. Just go. This is what's infuriating to me about Diekman. So what does he do after he walks Taylor? He strikes out Yelich. Arguably their best player. He strikes out Christian Yelich. So he hits the eight hitter. He walks the nine hitter. And he strikes out <laughs> the, the biggest fear in the lineup, so to speak. The guy that you need to get out. The guy that you're trying to pitch. You would be trying to pitch around hypothetically. That's the guy that you get out. That's what's infuriating to me. There's never been a question with this stuff with Deakman. It's just he cannot throw strikes. Ball four. Yeah. Ball eight. Vaughn has walked the bases loaded on 12 straight pitches. Uh, Walkman, man. He is absolutely horrible. He can't throw strikes. And this is coming back to this whole idea of building a bullpen. We gave you the numbers. It is atrocious since Bloom took over this organization. And it's a three-year period. And I get it 2020. You can say, okay, it's just a couple of months. But now from the past couple of years, you look at this Red Sox bullpen and Heim Bloom, I don't know how anybody could argue that he's done a good job there. And that's something that you thought, okay, at least he can do that when he comes here, right? We all knew that he was going to try to build up a long-term sustainable winner as it pertains to getting guys into the farm system and all that. We all thought that was going to be the case. But you also had an idea like, okay, yeah, this guy can build a bullpen. Look at what Tampa's doing. Well, what he's proven since he's gotten here, he can't do it. You look at all these guys that the Red Sox have gone after in terms of the bullpen. They love sliders. And they have types when it comes to hitters. They want to go after guys with big launch angles. And what happens because of that is you get a ton of strikeouts. You look at it, Jeter Downs, huge launch angle guy. He was 23 degrees when he was up here, right? You look at Trevor Story. You look at Kike Hernandez. Now, Kike is the only guy that doesn't strike out a lot. Schwarber, even when he brought him in, he's a big strikeout guy. So I think one of the issues that I have with Bloom and the front office in general is they get so caught up on strikes, or not on strikes, on traits, definitely not strikes. <laughs> they are not caught up on strikes, but they get caught up in traits. Okay, the launch angle. Okay, this guy throws a lot of sliders. That's what they're looking at. They're almost, it's almost an arrogant approach in some way where it's almost Belichickian where, and Bill was really good at this. I mean, this is not meant to be a slight at Bill because Bill could do it. Bill would look at a guy like Kyle Van Noy in Detroit and say, you know what? He's underutilized there. They're using him wrong. Okay, this is a high draft pick. I'm going to bring him in here, and we're going to get a good role for him. And Kyle Van Noy was very good for this team now. I mean, the guy talked like he was one of the best linebackers in the history of the damn sport. I mean, that was a little too much for me. But he was a good player. I mean, he was a really good player for this team, right? So Bill could find that and get that out of the player. It almost feels like Hein Bloom is in that same sort of approach. I mean, th just think about the Robles thing. And look, they, they've been right about some of these guys, right? They looked at Robles and they say, okay, if we get him here, we'll have him throw his changeup less and his slider more. And he got here and that's exactly what he did and he was good for this team. Now, of course, this year he fell off a cliff. You look at a guy like Diekman, they say, okay, horizontal break on the slider, among the best in all of Major League Baseball, stuff's nasty, but they ignore the fact that his ground ball rate was the worst it's ever been last year. The walk rate was through the roof, just like it is this year. They bet on themselves saying, we can get the player right. Instead of just going out there 
and getting proven commodities. And that's what irritates me, infuriates me so much. That doesn't even cost you giving up prospects. That to me is, okay, let's just go get a good reliever that's on the market instead of a guy that's coming off a bad season. It feels like that's why they go after Diekman because they feel like, okay, he's cheaper than he would ordinarily be two years for $8 million because of the fact that he came off a down year and they have so much confidence that they're going to get the guy here and they're just going to get him right. And to me, you can, at times, this is a crazy concept, go after known commodities like we saw with Dave Dombrowski where he went after guys that he knew were going to perform at the major league level. You know how? Because they had been doing it in the previous seasons. And it just feels like Heim Bloom doesn't really do that. That's not sort of in his ethos, and it irritates me that he doesn't do that because look at the results. It would be one thing. Like, some of these guys work. I'm not disputing that. But it's just the same thing. It's the same type of signing. It's the same type of trade over and over and over again. And I just look at this group. Remember, they won the World Series in 2018. And they have not done nearly enough to help those guys win another World Series. They got there last year in terms of two games away from the World Series, but I wouldn't argue that that was so much about Heim Bloom. It was more about Cora and about the star players here. Yeah, they made some nice moves on the periphery. Kike Hernandez had a great postseason and all that. I'm not disputing that. He's made some nice moves, but I still don't feel like that team did enough at the trading deadline to put that team over the top. We saw what they had to do in the postseason, bringing all those guys out of the bullpen in terms of relievers. That's not the norm. It's not the norm for every single postseason game, a team bringing starters out of the rotation. Who else does that in Major League Baseball? Alex Cora is outstanding at it, and he's great at managing games in the postseason, and he can do that type of stuff. But it's just you're asking too much out of certain players instead of just going out there and landing a guy that you know is going to perform at a high level. And the Red Sox, it just seems like with this front office, they have no interest in doing that. And one of the things that really irritates me is they've hurt the Major League team. I understand when you need to move on or you wanted to move on from Benintendi, I'm okay with that. And maybe De La Rosa down the road is going to be great for this team. But what I just can't understand is you lose a good player in Benintendi, and during this stretch, ever since Benintendi left, you've gotten nothing in return. Winkowski's been bad, and Franchi Cordero has been downright atrocious. So those are the two guys that you got in return for Benintendi that were going to be close to the major league level when you made the trade. They've given you nothing. So you got rid of a good player, and he was coming off a down year, too. That The injury in 2020 after the down 19, I still don't understand why he made that trade when he did. His value was at its—the value for Benintendi at that particular point in time was at its nadir. So it just felt like that was the wrong time to move him. Wait until—if you're really going to move him, wait. Move him when he starts to get some of his value back. I get it. They didn't want to extend him, but it just felt like all these trades that he makes are bad. The Mookie trade is one of the worst trades you will ever witness. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barry taking you up until first pitch of the Sox. So if you do want to weigh in on High and Bloom and the Red Sox, how do you feel about him going forward running this team? Because I am very concerned about it. And we'll get into one other thing that has me worried about this Red Sox team next here on EI. Now, more of the Brian Barrett Show on WEEI. All right, welcome back in. We're taking you up until the first pitch of the Red Sox game, 617-779-7937, number, if you want to weigh in on the Bloom era so far and how much confidence do you have going forward with Bloom running the organization, 617-779-7937, the number. It was interesting to me that today is the 15-year anniversary of Kevin Garnett getting traded to the Celtics. Now, in that trade, Al Jefferson, Ryan Gomes, Sebastian Telfair, Gerald Green, Theo Ratliff, 
cash considerations, and two first-round draft picks. Johnny Flynn, it would end up being Johnny Flynn and Wayne Ellington. So those didn't really work out. But Al Jefferson was a pretty good player for Minnesota for a couple of years. Now, eventually, when he got to Charlotte and Utah, they started to go away from that type of basketball, of course. He didn't have a low post presence, so to speak. But you look at his years in Minnesota, 21 and 11, 23 and 11, and 17 and 9. So you look at that stretch that Al Jefferson had from the Minnesota Timberwolves, and you look at what Alex Verdugo is doing for the Boston Red Sox. And Alex Verdugo, in his time as a member of this organization, has been a good player, not a great player. Last year, he hit 289 with a 351 on base percentage, a 777 OPS. And I know I've given you the numbers on how unlucky he is as a hitter. You look at him this year, he's hitting 270 with a 684 OPS. The reason I bring up Verdugo is you think about these two trades and the perception in terms of the long-term view of the Kevin Garnett trade from a Minnesota perspective was that was absolutely atrocious in terms of the return. You didn't pick out the right players to get back. You should have picked Rondo, although was Danny Ainge really going to give up Rondo? He loved Rondo and all that. But my point is that that trade is looked at as a horrible trade for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they still got a guy for two years that gave you 20 and 10, and another year gave you a 17 and 9. So that was a really productive player and one of the best players on that team. Eventually, they would, of course, draft Kevin Love and all that. But you look at the Bloom mookie Betts trade and you compare it to the Kevin McHale trade where he sent away Kevin Garnett, it's not even close how bad Bloom's deal is. That is a horrible trade. And I don't know how Bloom doesn't think about that all the time. I would if I was running the team. Like, if you really think about it from a PR perspective, it would have been better off if the Red Sox just kept Mookie Betts for that year and let him walk at the end of the season. Because at least then, we know we know the Red Sox tried to get Mookie, right? They offered him early in his career 100, then 200, then 300. So they went after Mookie Betts on multiple occasions and tried to sign him. They just could not get a deal done. But really, if you look at what the return was, Alex Verdugo, fine. He's an okay player. He's having an absolutely atrocious defensive season this year. Negative 0.6 defensive war. He's been bad in left field. Minus four defensive runs saved. He's not hitting for any power whatsoever. And you can, I know all the stuff about the unluckiness of Alex Verdugo, but that's really the only major league player you got back from Mookie Betts. You got Jeter Downs, who just got sent back to Worcester, who he was absolutely atrocious, striking out more than 50% of the time. I don't see that guy ever being a consistent big league player. Quite frankly, I don't even know if he is a big league player. He strikes out way too much. And it's not just... He was striking out at the major league level. He struck out 28% of the time last year at AAA and over 30% of the time. Or I should say he was striking out 28% of the time this year in AAA. And he struck out north of 30% of the time in AAA last season in 2021. So he's not going to be a good big league player. Connor Wong, maybe he's a backup catcher. But if the Red Sox actually thought Connor Wong was a legitimate catcher that could play every day, guess what would already have happened? Christian Vasquez would not be on this team anymore. And look, Vasquez may get moved in the coming days, but Vasquez would have already been moved because they would have said, hey, you know what? We got, this is crazy. We traded Mookie Betts, but we got this catching prospect that can come up and be our everyday catcher. That's not the case whatsoever. Not like Jeter Downs is, and I get it. Jeter Downs is young. He's 23. Connor Wong's not that young. Entering, his, he's going to be 26. So when you look at Connor Wong, that's another guy where, okay, he's involved in the Mookie Betts trade, and what's he given this organization? He is 26. He turned 26 on May 19th. So you add all that up 
That is one of the worst trades we will ever witness in our lifetime from a baseball perspective. Quite frankly, from any perspective. I don't know how you don't look back at that every day if you're Bloom, And I don't know how ownership doesn't look at that and have a fear of the guy running the team. So I can get around, like I said, based on the return, you should have just let Mookie play the season out and walk at the end of the season because at least you could have made a respectable offer. And they did make respectable offers. But you get my point is you could have tried to resign him in the offseason. And if he goes, he goes. But at least the Red Sox went after Mookie Betts. They tried to sign him. He just didn't want to be here. That would have been the narrative. But by trading him, now you're in a situation where we're looking at what you got back in return, and it's just unacceptable. That is an unacceptable return for, at the time, one of the best players in Major League Baseball that was the MVP in 2018. So I just would, if I was the ownership group, which obviously I'm not, I wish I had that type of money, but if I was the ownership group, I would look at this and say, are we sure we have the right guy? I would look through everything that he's done. I would look at the bullpen over the past couple of years. I would look at the signings that he's made, and I would say, are we sure we've got it right with this guy? Are we sure that Heim Bloom is the right guy to shepherd the ship going forward? Because we hear all this stuff about the minor league system improving, and I'm not telling you that's not true. It certainly has. But look at the product you're putting out there in terms of the major league product. And it feels like right now they left way too much meat on the bone with this core group of players. They did not do enough with this core to give them an avenue to win at a high level. And that's on the guy running the team. Sustainability, all that crap, my ass. You had a good enough team to make multiple runs deep into the postseason, and you haven't done nearly a good enough job at rebuilding this thing or putting guys around the guys at the major league level, not even rebuilding it. I'm talking about the major league team. You haven't done enough to supplement these guys. It's embarrassing what this team looks like right now. It's embarrassing that you have the same issue year after year, bullpen first base. Fix that crap. What are you doing? I don't know how any executive can come into the year and not have a plan at first base. Or if his plan was really Bobby Dahlbeck is going to play 80 to 85% of the games. Occasionally, Travis Shaw is going to play. And then when Tristan Cassius is ready, we'll bring him up. Okay, well, at this point in time, I don't see them getting a first base. And I expect them to wait on Cassis. But then we heard at the beginning of the season that they wanted Cassis to take time at the minor league level. So he wasn't overwhelmed. He wasn't overmatched with, I'm totally okay with. I believe that's the right thing to do instead of bringing a guy up too early and playing poorly when he first comes up. We've seen it happen with this team. When Brian Bayo first came up, he wasn't supposed to be here. He wasn't good. We've seen it time after time with this organization. When guys have to come up early, they're not good. They're not ready. So I was all in on that. But you needed to have a better plan at first base. You needed to do more for the bullpen. And Heinblum hasn't done that. And when you're going to look back and you had Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts, Andrew Benintendi, Rafael Devers, Nathan Avaldi, all these guys... What You won the World Series with Dave Dombrowski. What has Heim Bloom done for this team? What has he really done? 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barry taking you up until first pitch of the Red Sox game. So if you do want to win in this, what have you made of the Bloom era so far? Do you trust that he's actually going to put this team in a position where they're going to make multiple runs at the World Series? Because I certainly don't right now. I don't know what is pointing to that direction. I do want to get into some Patriot stuff as well as they are now in training camp, getting ready for the regular season. And I do have something that I'm concerned about with this team. I'll get into that next here on EEI. You're listening to The Brian Barrett Show on WEEI. All right, welcome back in. And we're coming to you today 
from the Ford Fenway Clubhouse studio, and you can tune into WEI this Red Sox season as we broadcast live from our Ford Clubhouse Fenway studio, like we're doing right now before Red Sox home weekend games. It's brought to you by your New England Ford dealers and Ford Trucks, official truck of the Red Sox. By the way, if you missed this, John Heyman reported that the Red Sox presence as a potential seller on the market could aid the Mets. Christian Vasquez and J.D. Martinez are two who fit the Mets, especially if they can't close the gap in talks regarding Wilson Contreras and Josh Bell. So this is an interesting situation with the Cubs and the Mets. It seems like the Mets are trying to put pressure on the Cubs to trade them Contreras, and right now it doesn't seem like those two teams can agree on some sort of offer. So I don't know. It seems like the Mets are really using the Red Sox here in terms of, or using the reporters, I should say, by bringing up the Red Sox guys. I'm not saying the Mets are not going to be interested in those guys. They certainly will. But like that crap the other day about, oh, yeah, well, Rosenthal reported the Mets have a scout at the Red Sox game. It's 2022. Why do they need a scout here? They know what J.D. Martinez is. What do they need to see? I mean, I can tell you what J.D. Martinez is right now. He's one of the worst run producers with running and scoring position, with runners in scoring position, rather, in the entire sport. He will not drive at a run. He did last. He got a sack fly. Congratulations, J.D. He actually did. He got a sack fly last night. So let everybody know about that. But nonetheless, my overwhelming point is you can just watch J.D. Martinez on film. You can watch him on tape. You don't need to be at the game. That was to try to put pressure on the Cubs. But the, you think the Cubs are stupid enough to think, oh, yeah, well, the Mets are at the Red Sox game. That means they're really going to be going after J.D. Martinez super hard here. I don't know why any team would go after J.D., quite frankly. I told you that yesterday. It makes no sense to me. The guy has not hit since the start of June. He's striking out left and right. I don't know why anybody would want J.D. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Al. He is in Rhode Island. Al, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Good. I would say overall, I think Bloom's done a very good job since he's come on board. Obviously, he's made some mistakes, and, and, you know, your point about first base is absolutely valid. But, you know, he was stuck with probably the worst contract extension of all time. We've got $29 million in dead money with Chris Sale, who's given them nothing since they signed that extension. And, you know, the team started off like crap the first month of the season, and then in July – when they finally got themselves back in it, they had one of the worst months in baseball. So, I mean, they got to sell at this point. So what are the They're moves, though, Al? The Al, you're, hold on, Al. You're telling me that you like what Bloom's done. What are the moves that you like with this current team? What are the moves you like that he made? I think he last year at the deadline, he made a couple under-the-radar moves that worked out really well for them. I just asked you about this year's team. What are the moves you like? Story and everybody was applauding him for that move. And Story hasn't—he has not been great, but I think okay. overall he's going to be good. Okay, so you like Story. What about the rest of the team? Well, I mean, I think obviously the majority of the stuff that Bloom has done has been building up the farm system. And I yeah, think yeah, exactly. That's my point, team. Al. There's a lack of attention on the big league club. That's my point. Well. Listen, I think as fans, you know, everybody wants to play checkers, but I think if you're a GM, you got to play more chess, and you got to be... Oh, yeah, you know what, Al? He's playing chess all right. You see what he got for Mookie? You see what he got for... Be he is playing chess. You're, you're right about that. Well, you just said you'd rather have... It would have been better for the Red Sox to let Mookie just play out the season and get nobody? How is that better for If this team? is the return, I would have done that, yeah. Why? You get no return if he walks. What is the return you got for Dugo? I mean, you really didn't get a return Dugo. for Mookie Betts, and now you get bad PR because of it. I mean, it's one of the worst trades that you could ever oh, do in Major League history. That's Bloom's, that's Bloom's oh, yeah, legacy. Let me, let me I traded Mookie Betts. What? Who told him to trade? Who told him to trade Mookie Betts? 
Mookie didn't want to be. Yeah, no kidding. What's the point? That doesn't mean you take the worst deal and trade him to your friend. How do you know that was the worst deal? I'm saying if that's the deal, I don't make it. How could you make that deal? Well, you should have made the deal the year before if you weren't going to. After you turned it down, they waited too long. Well, I don't. I don't disagree with that. And but the problem is that's an ownership thing as well. They don't want to trade Mookie Betts at the deadline to the Atlanta Braves. Al, I appreciate the call, but. I just look at the Mookie Betts situation and say, if you're looking at that from Heim Bloom's perspective, if you look at Heim Bloom's reputation, it would have been better off for him to let Mookie Betts go because the return is absolutely horrendous. Let's get to Rich and Beverly. Hey, Rich. Brother, what's going on? What's up? Brother. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, oh, I can yeah, hear you, Rich. What's going on? You had me, you had me laughing. Yeah, he had me in high hysterics with the J.D. Martinez thing. Boy, does he stink, huh? Yeah, he can't hit. No, he was a great hitter at one time. He did a lot for the Red Sox, but now, like, let's be honest, he's not doing well. But anyways, that's a subject for another thing. I want to get to, brother, you know, I love, I have love for you. But as far as the Mookie Betts thing, I'm glad. I'm not saying what they got from him. I'm glad he's gone. Because I would have never paid him $300 million. I don't think he... I don't think he justifies 300, 300 million. Go back to his postseason numbers since he's been with the Red Sox. They're atrocious. You know, okay, that's fair. That's fair, him. but do you like what they got back, Rich? No, no, no don't get me wrong. Verdugo, A, I like Verdugo. I really do. Set his ups and downs. He's been a pretty good clutch. Put it this way. He's got more RBIs than Xander Bogarts. Okay, so what does that Ryan. have to do with Mookie? What does that have to do with Mookie? No, no, it doesn't. Ryan, I'm not. No, listen, we got what we got from it. This is what it is. But I would have just never tied him up for the three hundred million dollars. And the same goes for. Okay, Bogart. okay, Rich, Rich, okay, Rich. Hold on, Rich, Rich. Hold on, hold on. Okay, that's fair. I can understand that point in terms of you look at him. He's a smaller player, diminutive in stature. He's five foot ten. His game's based on speed. You don't want to sign him long term. Okay, but what you cannot do is trade away an MVP, one of the best players in the sport at the time, even if you're, you don't think he's going to age well, which I understand where you're coming from with that, even if you think that that's the case. The return is unacceptable. That's the problem I have with it. Well, the it return is, for Mookie. What? Yes, okay, so that's my no, point. Is, All right, so hold on. So then, yeah, so then, okay, if you have Mookie bets here, play out the season, see what the team does when you have one of the best players in the sport here, and if he walks, it's not like the fan base and people are going to be upset because everybody knows what they offered Mookie Betts. They made him a fair and competitive offer. They offered him $300 million, and it's essentially the same deal he signed in the, with the Dodgers except two extra years. It's right around $30 million per season. Instead of this, it'd be great if you got something in return for Mookie Betts. You got Alex Verdugo, who has been a below-average player. Oh, yeah. I agree with you on that. Right, one more thing. Listen, as far yeah. as Bogots, oh, Bogot, listen, Bogarts doesn't just, I don't know what he's looking for. Ready? He's diminished. Look at his numbers. What's he got, 40 RBIs, 100 games into the season? Yeah, Honestly, his, right. his, his, I would never, he, he's another one. His power numbers right. go down every he's year. He's another I, one. I, he, yeah, all right, right. I, I got to let you he's go. I got to let you go. Sorry. Like, I like you, man, but I, I'm, I'm losing you right there. Anyway, so yes, he's right about the, the power numbers with Bogart. Slugging percentage has gone down each of the past four seasons. His isolated power has gone down each of the past four seasons. I have a real difficult time looking at Bogarts in terms of, because if you look at some of the numbers, like he's the luckiest hitter in the sport 
in terms of his expected batting average and his actual batting average. Like, Verdugo is unlucky. Xander Bogarts is very lucky. But I, he does this every year in terms of he has the second most ground ball hits in all of Major League Baseball. So he's obviously doing something right that the numbers don't see. He's able to find a way to continually hit. I mean, you don't just all of a sudden hit 315 and it's just because of luck. That doesn't happen. So there's something that Bogarts is doing and he continues to do it, not to mention the fact, well, then what's the plan? If you're not re-signing Xander Bogarts, what is the plan? What's the plan at actually winning? Like if you can present to me, okay, well, we're going to be in on Correa or we have some sort of replace. We're going to go after Trey Turner, somebody like that. Like if you have a plan in place or something along those lines, let me know. All I know is this. Bogarts works in the market. I understand the power stuff. Bogarts is the leader of that clubhouse, and he posts every day, and he's still, despite the power numbers getting down, uh, being down, he gets on base 39% of the time, right? He has a 392 on base percentage. So I look at it, I feel like he should be hitting closer to the top of the lineup than in the middle of the order. I think that's the type of hitter he is. That's how he profiles. Now, he profiles more like a leadoff hitter than he does in that three to four spot. So I understand it from that perspective, but I just feel like this guy produces every day for this team. I would keep him around. I would go to him right now with an offer because if you're not, what's the point? That's what I don't understand. If you're not trading Xander at the trading deadline, I mean, we're just talking about the Mookie situation. If you're not trading Xander at the trading deadline, what's the point if you're not going to re-sign him? Because then you're not getting anything back for Xander Bogarts. Although based on the Mookie trade, maybe this is the wise move because Hein Bloom's getting his ass ripped off again. Let's get to Ed on the Cape. Hey, Ed. I think the part we're missing on the Mookie trade is that we got rid of David Price during this. Yeah, you had to, they had to eat that contract. Price. Yes, they had to eat that contract. Yes. But, but the Dodgers had one of the best farm out. systems in Major League Baseball. They got nobody out of it. But didn't they eat some of the money? Just hear me out. Isn't it less with more? Didn't they eat some of the money? The Dodgers took some of that off. Yeah, the Red payroll, Sox still were correct? paying some of it. Yes, the Dodgers ate some of the money. So that is a positive that I don't think you're highlighting. Look back at the Carl Crawford thing when we dumped everybody on the Dodgers way back when we didn't get good players then either. Sometimes but why is it, it such a positive? Play. What's he done with that money? What's he going to do with that money, you think? That's an ownership thing. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. That's right. that's not, and I'm not a huge Bloom fan, but that's an ownership decision. They gave the purse strings to the guy previous, then they brought this guy in. Well, Ed, here's on. where you're wrong, though, Ed. Here's where you're wrong. The okay. guy running the team. Yeah, hold on, Ed. Ed, the guy that yep. traded for these players, evaluated those players in the Dodgers system and thought they were good. He did. I mean, he made those. He didn't. He didn't make the trade, knowing what we know now, thinking those guys were going to suck, with the exception of Verdugo. He did not do that. He tra when you look at it. Because they're taking on the salary, David Price, that doesn't mean, and I get it, that means you're going to get less of a return. I understand his point on that, but that doesn't mean you have to get a bad return. Bloom didn't think Jeter Downs is a bad player, and he didn't think that Connor Wong was never going to make the big leagues. I mean, we'll see when eventually he plays. If Vasquez is traded, maybe he'll get a long leash here and get an opportunity at the big league level. But the point being is he did not identify guys in the Dodgers system that were going to contribute here. He got none of the Dodgers' good prospects for Mookie Betts. Let's get to Matt in Rhode Island. Hey, Matt. Hey, what's up, Eric? Can you hear me all right? I got you. Okay, so why do you think Trevor Story came here to play second base when he's played his whole career as a shortstop? You tell me, and I'll tell you. To replace, to replace Bogarts next year. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I think he was hurt last year. 
I think his shoulder's gone, and I think he knew he doesn't have that range at shortstop as far as his arm goes. His arms yeah, I mean, his, teams his are worried about like that. Garbage. Yeah, teams are worried about that. Okay. So you think? So you think? So this is an example of like his value wasn't where it would have been, Trevor Story, if he wasn't dealing with that injury. So that's why Bloom signs him. I mean, I think from his perspective, I think he says, "I'll take the money. I'll go play second base because my shoulder. I, I don't have the, the arm to play shortstop anymore." That's what I think, and I think I think he didn't do his due diligence on the on the whole on the whole big. That's his one big signing, so like I don't have a lot of confidence in his his um, major league players like fi- like finding that player, finding elite players. I think he wants to go like you know shop at the at the discount rack, and he might be able to find once in a while. But as far as like you know signing the elite guys. I think he really messed up with stories. I don't think he's. I, I, I don't think he can play shorts enough, to be honest with you. I think he yes. has. Uh, I, I don't think he has the arm to do it anymore. You could be right about that, Matt. I I don't know uh, an extensive amount of information about it. And I appreciate the call, Matt. About like what was there was definitely a concern like when he was on the market. I don't know exactly what that means for him long term. I mean, he's a great second baseman, and this is not meant to be an indictment on Trevor's story. But yeah, if that's the case, if he is damaged goods in a couple of years, yeah, then we'll look back and we'll say, okay, they didn't get the proper information as it pertains to his medical situation. I mean, remember the whole thing with Bruce Dark Gratterall a couple of years ago, they decided to, to take Jeter Downs instead of Gratterall. Now, Gratterall doesn't strike a lot of guys out. He does have 100 miles an hour. And one of the things that the Red Sox have really struggled with over the past couple of years, of course, as we all know, is the bullpen. So it would be nice to have a guy in there that is just consistent as it pertains to a bullpen arm. And at least with a guy like Gratterall, you could throw him out there. And with Jeter Downs, essentially, his value to the organization is what? Absolutely nothing. He does nothing for this organization right now. He has not been a good player at the AAA level. And when you look at it right now, he could not contribute at all at the major league level. And speaking of that whole first base situation that I alluded to, this is something that Bloom hasn't done for years. His First base situation in Tampa wasn't good either. He doesn't value the position defensively. You look at it, 16 through 19, defensive run saves. The Red Sox were 12th in the Dombrowski era at 9. The Rays were 24th, minus 16. You look at errors, the Red Sox during the Dombrowski era, 29 errors, that was 4th, and the Rays were at 41, that was 23rd. So the Rays were bad in the Bloom era in terms of first base defense. You look at 20 through 2022, defensive run saved. The Red Sox are 30th, minus 21. And errors, 31, they're 30th. So they're dead last in both statistical categories. And this is something that Heimblum had going on in Tampa. He doesn't value the position like a lot of other executives do. Mainly a guy like Dave Nabrowski obviously valued that. 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you. We're taking you up until the first pitch of the Red Sox game, which comes your way at 135, Sox and Brewers. So I will get into one Patriots thing I want to touch on real briefly, but... How concerned are you about Bloom running this organization long-term? 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you on EI. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.